When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Oh, Saints for a touchdown! Each your inside pass to everything Saints football. Jimmy Graham brings it down, and that is a touchdown, New Orleans! We'll take you to places most fans never go. To practice, to the sideline, to the locker room, following every twist, turn, and touchdown of the Saints season. That is going to be a touchdown! Taysom Hill! Taysom TD! Welcome to Inside Black and Gold. And that is going to be a touchdown again. And guess who? Mike Thomas. Now, here are your hosts, Steve Geller and Jeff Nowak. Oh, baby! And then there were two. The Super Bowl competitors are set. We are talking everything from offensive coordinator jobs, senior bowl, an interesting interaction on social media with Michael Thomas during the AFC and NFC championships. There's a whole lot to get into on Inside Black and Gold. Steve Geller along with Jeff Nowak. Just when you thought we were kind of heading into a dull, you know, kind of down part of the season, there's always some ways to spark it up. It's amazing what Mike Mike Thomas can do to light up a, your your timeline on, on Twitter. I just wanted a nice, calm Sunday where I sat and watched football games. And, it, you know, it, it is funny. Like, it, it, it really kind of derailed my entire brain yesterday of, like, yeah, I, I, was it, in, right? I was in a mode to do a certain thing and just kind of watch football and not think about Saints drama. And then I had, like, the entire day, I was just, like, spiraling, like, trying to wrap my head around, like, try, trying to come up with, like, how I felt about it. Like, I, I didn't tweet about it in the moment because I really kind of just wanted to think about Absorb. it. Yeah, and like come up with like, okay, how do I really feel about this? Like, because it, it is very nuanced and, and complicated. There are layers to this, and we're going to talk about it extensively. But first, you know, NFC Championship, man, the Lions, oh, oh, brutal. I mean, 24-7, the funny thing is, 24-7 is this, the Lions' nightmare score, because... They were up 24-7 on the Saints at halftime in that game. And, you know, if it wasn't for some pretty crazy things that happened in that game, they might have blown that game. I mean, the Saints had the ball down six. And then if you recall that crazy fumble where Derek Carr – and they were – they were had all the momentum. And then Derek Carr goes to, like, toss it. But James Hurst comes through and, like, knocks it out. And that's a crazy fumble. And then the Lions go in and score, right? Like, who knows what would have happened if that play didn't – go and then the Saints still had a chance and Derek Carr got knocked out of the game and it was Jameis at the end but even he like he had a touchdown drive and they had a ch- so like 24-7 is not a score that Lions fans will ever want to see again 
in terms of halftime. And a lot of the criticism is going to be on Dan Campbell and the fourth down decisions. And how, <laughs> how do you feel about that? What, what, what is your take on that? Because I know a lot of people have a lot of opinions. Uh, I'm curious to where you land on it. There, there's sometimes you do just have to take the points, Dan. I'm sorry. Uh, you can't just, I don't, I don't know. I thought the, his aggressive nature caught up to him again in this game. And I think. Why? Why do you have to take the points then? What What's different about then? You're on the road in a big playoff situation and you're trying to, you know, extend that lead for me. I just, I wish he would have been a little less aggressive than usual, but I get it. That's, that's Dan Campbell's nature. But to me, you got, you got to take points and keep having, keep, keep it, keep laying it on the Niners. Don't let them try and get in it at all. Yeah. See, like, yeah, and and I, know, I understand there's, that there's the flip side of, okay, yeah, you're trying to step on their throat with another touchdown, but yeah. Well, well, there's two things. One, we're talking about Michael Badgley as if this is a for sure kick in either situation that's going to go in. Right. And it's that's that's one thing that annoys me is we always talk about something as if the alternative would definitely have worked out and we don't even need to consider that it is not a 100% scenario for Michael Badgley to make a 48-yard kick. Right? So we we can start there and like that has to be part of the conversation. Two, I don't see like you're talking about like oh if this was week 13 you would do this because you believe in this. And because it's the NFC championship, you change. And I would argue the opposite. Like if you believe in something and this is your philosophy, then no, you don't change it just because the situation, like if you don't do it every time it gets scary, then you never believed in it in the first place. And so to me personally, like I get it. I understand why people are like, well, this is such a big game and you have eyes on this game that didn't watch the Lions all season and might not necessarily appreciate that this is how they have gotten to this point. That's how they did it. There's a reason they do that. And it's worked. And like, not it's not going to work every time, but neither is the field goal. So like to me personally, it's like, if this was just something they did in the moment and it was against all of their philosophies right. and beliefs throughout the entire season, that's one thing. But to me, it's like, if you've watched the Lions all year, you knew they were going to go there. Right. And changing that at that point, like if Dan doesn't go and then Michael Badgley misses a 48-yard kick, the conversation is going to be about, well, why did you go away from the things that you believed in in that moment? And, and, and also, this is a team that's been very good on fourth down conversions. Like I look at it and say, you got to convert. You got to do your job. Josh Reynolds can't be dropping that ball. You can't let a... <laughs> and an easy interception bounce off your face mask, Oof. right? Like you can't fumble in that situation. If you're Jameer Gibbs, like there's a lot of reasons they, they, that blew that lead, but like, it's easy to just look at it and say, well, they, they were too aggressive here. And because those are the decisions you can make, you can't go back and say, well, I wish Jameer didn't decide to fumble. You know, I wish so-and-so didn't decide to let a ball bounce off this face mask. That doesn't, that's not how it works. So personally, it's like, if, again, it's like, if that's what you do, I get it. Um, and because of the high profile nature of this game, everyone's going to be like, well, sometimes you just got to take the points. But like, what's different about this game if you're just taking the game part of it? No, I was saying the same thing during the Cowboys game with the, the Lions-Cowboys game. Versions, like, right? Dan, just freaking kick the ball. Yeah. And no, he just wanted to keep going for it. And, and I think most Lions fans would probably like because they've watched his team so closely and like they know he's going to go. They know. Um, and, you know, this team, I'm sure they work extensively on these plays. Like 
if you're a team that goes for it on fourth down, you're going to be working on fourth down conversion plays constantly. So they feel good about them. Um, anyway, I just thought that was that's going to be a topic for the entire offseason. It's going to be a topic for Dan Campbell's entire coaching tenure because he's going to keep doing it. Right. You want to say, uh, I don't know, does he have a does he have a nickname yet? As like Riverboat Ron did? Dan Gamble. Dan Gamble. There you go. Yeah, it's a good one. I like it. I, it works. I, it exists for a reason. Anyway, let's, you know, in, in the opposite side of things, you know, Pat Mahomes, it's almost not even worth talking about because Pat Mahomes' floor is the AFC championship. He's never done anything less than that. He's lost to Tom Brady and Joe Burrow. Otherwise, that's it. Um, and so they beat the Ravens. But the thing we want to talk about out of that game is not necessarily the game uh, as far as the Saints are concerned. You know, we can talk about Lamar Jackson, whatever. This isn't that podcast. Uh, but what I will talk about is a tweet storm that began Man, and and the, and the 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 prompt of the tweet storm from Michael Thomas is important because it's really just an extension of what Mike was talking about during the game against the Lions in his tweet. His initial tweet that set everything off for himself was that they were talking about how Pat Mahomes used his eyes to get somebody open, and he in against the Lions he was talking about how Derek Carr doesn't use his eyes or his eyes don't work or whatever. So like. Realistically speaking, this was a just continuation of that rant, which ended with him deactivating his Twitter account after going off in what I would assume was the team being like, I, you know, you can get fined if you continue to do this or something like that. Right. Like because he was he, like, why, why did he stop then? You know, <laughs> but yeah. And so that just continued and continued. And and I think it gave a pretty, pretty solid insight into, you know, what all Mike and the team were kind of feuding about throughout the year. And, uh, you know, there's a lot to it. You know, we'll, we'll, we'll put these up here. I feel like um, we need like really dramatic music behind it. Yeah. And, you know, and so some of these were replies. Some of these were quote tweets. Some of these were just straight up tweets. But I did think there was a few that were interesting in that. So, you know, we talked about how it was a, it was a bad ball from Mike, from Derek Carr that got him hurt. You know, we, we were just talking about this off air. I don't know exactly which ball he's talking about because the weird thing is the what I would call a bad ball would have been the first play of that Vikings game where it was kind of high and it needed to be like on his inside hip so he could turn up field and instead he took a shot to the back. But I don't think that's what he got hurt on. And the next one was right. just a quick slant where someone put a helmet on his knee. And I wouldn't say that was a bad ball. Like, the, the, like they weren't both the same one of them was objectively like you you're just setting your guy up to get hurt but the one he got hurt on was just kind of your run-of-the-mill slant that if that's a bad ball then every slant is a bad ball because you're just gonna get hit but you know he talked about so you know he probably would have had a thousand yards blah 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 but the thing that i thought was interesting is this is the first time i've heard or i've seen mike come out and indicate that he was it, was, it wasn't just Derek Carr not throwing the ball in the right spot. It's that he wasn't emphasized enough in the offense to begin with. And said, and it's not just Derek Carr. Like the wording of this tweet is on top of that. They weren't even, they wasn't even trying to get me the ball, but it's no just denying my style of play. It don't age. Play a, you will see. And to me, it's like, he said they, he didn't say Derek. He said they, which to me indicates that he's, he was displeased that not just Derek, at the offense, at Pete Carmichael, at the scheme, that he was not emphasized enough as the top receiver in this offense. And to that, I would say, 
Well, yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry, Mike. That's I not mean, who you are. Your game does age. You're 30, dude. You're 30. I mean, and like I get it. You're still a very good receiver, and I'm a I'm a huge Mike Thomas fan. But if if you can't accept the fact that this is not you are not the 2019 version of yourself, and sacrifice a bit for the team in terms of target share with Chris Olave now on your team. Like this isn't Ted Ginn, right? Like I want, this is Chris Olave's team now. Like the same way when you showed up, it was your team and not Brandon Cook's team. And they traded away Brandon Cook's. So that one, I don't understand, but like I can now, I think it does, it does illuminate a lot. It does illuminate a lot in terms of why this devolved so quickly. And I want to draw your attention to a couple Derek Carr clips that happened throughout the season. And I, at the time I was like, I don't know if he's talking to me or not. I don't know if this is in reference to what I'm asking him or what he's hearing. And, and, and this is what I mean. So this is uh, the answer to a question that I asked him prior to the bears game. Uh, you know, and so uh, basically like he's spreading the ball around a lot more so than we saw with Drew Brees pretty much ever in the last, I guess ever pretty much, since 2017, like since Mike Thomas joined the Saints, you would never say this is a team that spread the ball around. It was it was an offense that ran through Mike Thomas, and you just made everything work around it. And Alvin Kamara, obviously, but with Derek Carr, you definitely saw you know a lot of games where it's like wow, eight different guys caught passes, you know. But you never saw like that huge oh this guy had 15 targets today, right? Um, and so I asked him about that, and this is what he said. Good job spreading the ball around a lot this year. Is that something as a quarterback that you kind of have to, when you have this many playmakers on an offense, do you have to be conscious of, or does it just kind of happen now? No, I kind of like I told you all when I came, you know, we, you, we taught you guys to teach me about the playmakers, and I, and I said, look, I'm going to read plays out, and the ball, we're going to say, wow, he had a great game. You know, then the next week we're going to, wow, he, we had a great game. What's wrong with this guy? You know, what's wrong? Why, why can't we do and I And I, and I just said, like, just the way I play, man, I'm just going to spread them out and, you know, leave it up to the coaches to put guys in position and, Hopefully I can read them all right and get it to the guy when they're supposed to get it and all those things. Um, but that's that's just me playing quarterback. Like, if you guys want to get mad, you'll go talk to them. But I'm going to read plays out, and I'm going to throw it to where the ball should go. AK could have 12 catches. You know, he, Mike, you could have 10 one time. You could get three in a row. You could, you know, however it plays out, we have to be able to play that way. Um, that way, as quarterback, you can be free in the decisions that you're making. Okay, so that was before the Bears game. Now, this is what he said after the Bears game. Hey, look. And and bear in mind, this is in reference to a question about Chris Olave, who had a big game against the Bears. You know, we are all human. You know, we go through stuff and sometimes it's, you know, you know, there's change. You know, he's, you know, getting to know me and there's things, you know, that we deal as with players in our personal life and things like that. And who knows what's going on. And sometimes it you know, you can be doing everything right. It doesn't go your way. We all know that in life, you know, and, uh, you know, so, you know, I think that he's still been making, you know, some big plays for us and, you know, making some tough catches and things like that. But to see him have a touchdown, you know, see him have a couple big plays for us, um, you know, get the ball back in his hands, you know, that was good. And again, this is, he goes back to, you know, what we've, what I've been saying since I got here, you know, some days it's going to be that way, you know, or, you know, oh, wow, Chris, you know, and, you know, oh man, Mike had, you know, eight catches or Sheed or, you know, and, you know, man, Alvin, you know, Alvin got the ball a whole bunch. You know, I, I just am going to read the plays out and, you know, try my best to make it happen. And uh, it just happened to, you know, go that way for Chris Day. But it's good, good timing, I think, you know, uh, for him. And now this is one more clip from his post game after the Giants game. Now, keep in mind, this is a game without Chris or Mike. Involved a lot. Was that matchup specific or is that something you've been 
push him to do yeah, I think it just fell that way this week. Um, you know, obviously, you know, with 12 being out, uh, you know, other guys' roles, like I said, increase. And we got some good players in that room. And, and they're healthy, and uh, as can be right now. And that's that was an emphasis for us is, you know, with him being out, how can we, you know, involve everybody? And I, yeah, I really think it was a master masterful job by, by Pete, you know, and RC just – you know, spreading spreading that out, you know, and putting guys in positions um, to do some things where the defense thinks they're doing one, you do another, you know. And I, I just thought they did a fantastic job of including everybody because I told you, like, if you, any receivers or tight ends come up to me, I'm going to point them right back to RC and Pete. Like, go talk to them because I'm going to read these plays out, you know. And uh, our guys have been great, and everyone made their plays when they were called on today. Okay, so again, and, and the point of – part of those that I want to point to is each time he basically said – if receivers come up to me and say, why didn't I get the ball? I'm going to point them back to Rob, Ronald Curry, Pete Carmichael, and say, "This I'm just reading these plays. And he said that consistently. And to his credit, you have seen him do that to the, for the most part. Again, like he spread the ball around this season. And in most cases, you would talk about a quarterback spreading the ball around and say, yeah, it's a good thing. Now, let's go back to Mike Thomas. And this is a guy who part of what makes him great is this kind of insane work ethic, this super intense personality. And that's what a lot, like has helped him be the guy he is. I think now that's working against him in terms of being a less emphasized piece of this offense. And I think what you have here, and, and the reason that him saying, well, why am I not as emphasized in this offense is important, is so you're going through the season. You're getting into week seven, week eight. And things, you know, week eight was a good win over the Colts, but and a lot of the other weeks, the offense was, had bogged down. You had a few issues. You'd start with three and outs. You struggle in the first half. And Mike's like, well, why am I not a bigger part of the game? Why am I not the guy that we look at and say, okay, uh, you know, this is someone who can get the offense moving. And so he goes to Derek Carr. And, and, and again, like we heard how Derek Carr responds to those complaints. He says, I just read the play out, throw to the open guy. Go so you're Mike that. Thomas and you're like, oh, okay, sure, sure thing. Now, fast forward to week nine, and that's the reason that the, the fact that those comments came before and after the Bears game. Week nine, Saints win, but it's ugly on offense. You force five turnovers, you win by a touchdown against the Bears team that's starting Tyson Bagent. And Mike Thomas, zero catches, one target, and it went down as a drop. So... What do you think happened on the sideline or in the locker room around that game? Why the hell aren't you throwing me the ball? Well, I just read the plays out. Okay, go to the next week against the Vikings. And you have the first two offensive plays of the game are quick throws to Mike Thomas. Hmm. One is the bad ball where he gets delivered high and he gets a shot right in the kidneys. But, you know, again, it's not – I don't know if that's the play he got injured on because I don't, I don't think he injured his knee on that. The next play was the quick slant where he takes a helmet to the knee and, and that ends his season. Now, I don't know how significant that injury is. I, and, and I don't know if Mike Thomas could have come back and played. The team clearly thought that he could have got back and played after the injury. We'll never know. Only Mike knows exactly how bad that injury was. And I'm not going to sit here and say that he was healthy enough to play. I don't know. But what I will sit here and say is that once you start tweeting about your quarterback while they're playing a game, you've decided you're not going to play. So in my mind, whether he could have played or not is irrelevant because he wasn't going to come back and play. Because if he was, he would have been back at practice 
in terms of like getting ready in case he could have played. Like if they made the postseason, he could have come back in week 18 and getting through limited practices so that if they made the playoffs, maybe he could have come back. So to me, he decided he's not, he's no longer a member of this team. And so you're like, he's sitting there on the couch saying like, oh, you said you throw to the open guys. Well, A.T. Perry's wide open. And this is what set off this whole thing initially. A.T. Perry's wide open. You didn't throw him the ball. So apparently your eyes aren't working perfectly. And I think that's where you get to this point of like, I don't trust you that you're doing your job the right way, but you're telling me you are. And that's why I'm not getting the ball. So I think there's truth to both sides of this. And I know I've been talking forever, but this is just something that I think is, is very interesting. And the question is, okay, well, as a coach, as a team, as a front office, how do you handle this? Because what what are you supposed to do? I mean, you have a veteran player who is not pulling in the right direction. Like, I think he started this season pulling in the right direction. At a certain point, he took his hands off the rope. And then later on, he put his hands back on the rope and started pulling the opposite direction. And I understand why he did, but at the same time, how am I supposed to endorse that? Like, you you look at this team and you see how this season went, and do you think it's a coincidence that over the final five weeks of the season, six weeks of the season, Chris Olave was playing his best football? that the offense played its best football? I don't know, but like, Mike, it's, it's, it was never going to be about you are the clear-cut number one receiver on this team. This was only going to work if Mike was willing to sacrifice that role and be the guy that he can be, which is a productive member of this offense. Because I hate to break it to you, Mike. You're going to go, you're going to play somewhere else. If you are not willing to be that guy for that team, it's not going to work out there either. You're not going to go to to Kansas City and 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 they're suddenly going to be like, "Yeah, you're the you're the unquestioned guy." You're not going to go to Buffalo and they're going to be like, "Stefan Diggs, move over. We got Mike Thomas." No, you're going to have to be part of that group. Um, and I don't know if he can do it. You you mentioned separation numbers. I thought you were going to hammer those because it's unbelievable. Well, you know, <laughs> and I don't want it. Like I think Mike is a very good player. I think he can still catch a ball in a phone booth. He can battle for it. But if his argument well, is that he, well, he had a lot of drops this year, he had, I don't know. It's, it's tough. Uh, you know, and I, and I think like his, his stats at the end, that 39 catches 448 yards and a touchdown, you know, you're on pace for 71 catches, 827 yards, like three touchdowns. It's like, I, that's to me, that was fine. Like I didn't have an issue with it. That's why I was surprised to hear him complaining about his role. But like, if his argument is that he's open and he's not getting seen, like there, I'm sure there you could go back and find situations where he's open and not getting the ball. I'm sure you could. There was a play that Jawan Johnson got the ball over the middle. Mike Thomas was running an out or whatever it was, and his he dropped his defensive back. And if Carr had seen him, he gets it over there. It's a touchdown. But if you look at just the average separation numbers in the NFL, which Next Gen Stats, the NFL tracks this, you know who's dead last in average separation? This season, it's Mike. And we saw that issue be frustrating for him in training camp. Right. He's tied with Devontae Parker for for the lowest yeah. average separation in the NFL. And, like, you know, I don't think Mike – Mike is a guy who doesn't have to be wide open to get the ball. And I think that's what he would say to you. It's like, I'm not – I don't need five yards of separation. I just need an inch, and then you can get it to me, and I'll win that catch. But, like, it's not as if he's just standing there by himself. You know, and and I think one of the things that Derek did well this year is not put the ball in harm's way, not put the ball in trouble, because when you're throwing into contested windows, you set yourself up for potential tips, that sort of thing. And so 
So it's not like he was just standing there wide open. Now, could you have forced him the ball? Yes. Back when Drew was here, he was the only guy to throw the ball to. Like, you don't get 149 catches in a season if there's a guy across from you that isn't Ted Ginn, right? Like, I, I just think that it was always a struggle. And, and to me, it kind of boils down to, like, I've said this before, what is the actual consequence of managing the salary cap the way the Saints do? Because I don't think it's necessarily the roster suffers significantly in terms of, you know, talent. Yeah, I, I think it just means keeps you locked into guys and it it stops you from being able to be flexible when you get into situations like this. And Mike is not the first and he will not be the last wide receiver who gets into his 30s and suddenly feels like, well, why is the offense going away from me? I still have, I'm still me. But like, you have to be able to navigate that. And some teams do it well, some teams don't. You look at Des Bryant, right? When Des Bryant left the Cowboys, they were able to cut bait and move on quickly. They didn't have to worry about the long-term ramifications of the salary cap and whatnot. He obviously comes here and everyone's like, well, why didn't they, why did they move on from Des Bryant so suddenly? He comes here, blows out his Achilles. We'll never know if he had anything to give, but like, I don't think you look back and say, well, they were wrong to do that. Pittsburgh moved on from Antonio Brown way back when he went to the Raiders and everyone was like, wow, I can't believe the Steelers moved on from Antonio Brown. He still has so much to offer. And then we kind of find out a lot more about Antonio Brown. He shows up in Oakland you know, to go play with Derek Carr and he's like burns his feet. He like, like, remember he like freezes his feet. Do you remember that? Yeah, it was a pretty wild stuff going on with him. He showed up with his like feet melting off his body. Right. Um, and, and then he dies his like walrus mustache and it becomes a whole thing, right? Never worked out there. And so like it's just it's one of those things that as guys get older, you know, these these are these are primary players. These are guys who are what they are because they say, I'm better than you and I'm gonna prove it to you. And so I think it can be difficult for those guys to suddenly feel like, well, why are they why are they running this offense around Chris Olave and not me? Why are they doing this? And then put yourself in the shoes of the organization that's like, we have these impressionable young players who are now seeing this guy who's supposed to be a veteran arguing with the quarterback about why he's not getting enough targets, right? And sniping at the quarterback and the team on social media, you know, about how how they did him wrong. And it's like... If you, you know, the other thing, the other part of all this is he feels like the team is, is, is trying to set him up to be the scapegoat for their problems. And he mentioned Jeff Duncan and, and how, you know, he's kind of the mouthpiece of the organization. And to be fair, he is to an extent, like he does have people talking to him and he reports that information, but, you know, it's hard to, you know, if if Mike wants his voice heard in that story, he's got to talk to the media about it. It, like like he doesn't have to but it's hard for me to take you seriously when you're you haven't you never really talked to the media ever and then you're saying well they only report what the organization is telling them like, yeah because you're not telling us your side of the story and i'm not saying you need to hold a press conference but look at what Jameis did last year you know i, I like Jameis was in a very similar situation of kind of getting screwed over by the team and he did an interview with with new orleans Dove football which apparently mike is a big fan of and yeah, like, Mike's just a peculiar character in that aspect where you he doesn't want to talk to the media, but he likes to take those little jabs or whatever you want to misinterpret his rap lyrics whenever he does tweet those out to just be really cryptic about things. And uh, just I really would appreciate if he was a little more straightforward in what he was trying to say. Well, I will give him credit. 
the reason we're talking about him today is because he was very straightforward. <laughs> so if that's about your complaint, then, then he is doing I, what you want him to do. For There's no reason, questioning. For whatever reason, yeah, Championship Monday, uh, Sunday just set him off. Well, it's again, it's not about a new rant. It's the same rant. And that's why, you know, a lot of people will hinge on this and say, oh, it's a smoking gun. Everything's gone to shit in uh, down on airline. And I would say, what did we actually learn that we didn't know already? Like we knew Mike was pissed off. We knew it wasn't going well. And he basically was off the team by week 12. Like well, that, that's not new. Um, we, we know it goes a little deeper than, than that. And like, again, one of the reasons I talked about like the offensive part of it was that's new to me in terms of, I knew that he was already complaining about Derek, not throwing the ball to the right place. I didn't realize that he was actively complaining about his role in the offense. And I think that is a, that is significant, but um, I just, I, I, I kind of look at it and say, how are you supposed to handle this situation as a, as a team? Right. Because this is, we can, like, this isn't the first time and it won't be the last time that a, that a player kind of goes off and, and starts becoming an issue in the locker room. Do you know, like we saw it with CJ, right? Like when things aren't going yeah. the right way, how do you I, handle it? Some guys handle it certain ways. I don't know what kind of teammate Mike is. I'm not saying he's a, he's a distraction, but some of the things he, he does can be, you know, perceived as negative towards the organization, obviously. I've said this before. I think Mike, to his teammates, is an excellent teammate. I think, other than Derek Carr, probably, he would support everyone in that locker room. And that's kind of an, a, a, an about face from his initial reaction and kind of how what we saw in the beginning. Which he, refer- he, he, he did reference that in his tweet storm, where he was like, I was standing near the ocean. I was feeling great about life. <laughs> um, <laughs> and it's kind of funny. But, uh, you know, but at the same time, your actions speak a lot louder than I think you realize when you are Mike fucking Thomas and you are undermining the coaching staff, undermining your quarterback in front of a lot of very, very impressionable young players. And one of the, I mean, go look at Chris Olave's season, right? And, and understand that this is a young player who's trying to find his way and trying to learn how to be a professional in real time. And he had a very difficult stretch in the middle of this season. And that coincided with what sure sounds like the bulk of Mike's ire being directed at quarterback Derek Carr, or at head coach Dennis Allen, and at offensive coordinator Pete, Pete Carmichael, whatever was going on with Cody Burns. That firing makes a lot more sense now that we kind of have this more of this information. And like, how like how is he handling that? Like what? It, like that's that's what frustrates me about it is one of the reasons I really liked the idea of keeping Mike around was that he could guide Chris Olave and kind of and if he's willing to kind of take a backseat at points, then you have a young player who I think is going to be a superstar in the NFL for a long time. And he's learning at the feet of a very, very, very good at one point elite top end 99 in Madden type player. And instead what you got was this, this dysfunction and sniping and things that didn't work. And, and again, I don't think it's a coincidence that the end of Chris Olave's season went very much differently. I mean, look at the first game Mike missed. I mean, he basically disappeared from the team for the second half of that season for, from week 11 on. And the first week Mike's not there. You see Chris go off for 12, like nine catches, 114 yards against Falcons. Yeah. I mean, I think Mike 
didn't really, I don't know if it didn't fully grasp what role he was supposed to be in now, but I, I thought that was pretty crystal clear going into the season, but it's not obviously what he wanted. Uh, but I don't understand or really, I don't know how you get to a place where you're making him, him happy. You don't, there is no, there's no place. And that's the problem is like, I think if everyone took a step back prior to this season, it, we could have all kind of seen this as a likely ending right. point. Right. But right. both sides were tied to each other financially in ways that the same as Jameis Winston, it made a heck of a lot more sense to keep him than to move on from. Him. Now, when I say sense, I mean that financially, right? Like you, you, it, right. from a, from a team building perspective, it made more sense to go with a youth movement and maybe go sign a veteran veteran wide receiver and say, "Good, you know, Mike, you've done a heck of a lot here. We appreciate you. You know, the other thing he talked about was like Alex Anzalone was injury prone and they, they got rid of him, which I thought was interesting. But, uh, you know, it, like, because I, I do want to see Mike succeed and I want to see Mike go somewhere where he can go win a Super Bowl. But, you know, like, like Odell Beckham, does not win a Super Bowl with the Rams unless he humbles himself and says, okay, I'll be a sidekick to Cooper Cup, right? Like, right. I it's think it's pretty clear that Mike's ego still won't let him do that. You know, but but I don't think he's alone in that. I think he's one of the few guys who's willing to air his grievances on social media. And so we know a lot more about it. But like Odell Beckham got traded from the Giants. You think that was an amicable departure? But like he, he went to the Browns and that didn't go well. You know, like his dad is sniping it. Like his dad was the one who used social media and sent cutups of uh, Odell being wide open and Baker Mayfield ignoring him. Then he eventually goes to the, goes to the Rams. And I think he understands where he is at this point in his career. Odell Beckham's 31. Odell Beckham's a year older than Mike Thomas, but you know, and he's on the Ravens now and he got fewer catches than Mike Thomas did this year. He got three catches in the playoffs, <laughs> the entire playoffs. I just think that, yeah, the Mike Thomas soap opera in New Orleans, the, the run is over and it's time for the next season to pick up with a new location. Yeah. And again, it should have happened a while ago. And it, and if it wasn't for the contract, yeah, they, they tried to make it work this year for sure. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, it is what it is. I, I Again, I, I don't know how much we learned that was new. Like, again, it was obviously bad. Oh, uh, oh the, the other funny thing that happened is Alvin Kamara was like, leave me out of this. I don't want to well, do watch that. football. Yeah. Alvin has said multiple. We asked Alvin after the Lions game and he was like, I don't I, If that's what Mike wants to do. That's what he's going to do. <laughs> and uh, he, he tweeted yesterday. He was like, I don't even watch football. Leave me out of this. Because <laughs> <laughs> Alvin has said he's an Alvin's guy. busy with NASCAR stuff now. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, like, and, and I, and I get it and I don't want to trash Mike. I like Mike. I think Mike is a great player. I think he's one of the best wide receivers the saints have ever had. I think he's one of the best wide receivers in NFL history. And it's really a shame that his career got derailed by injuries that said, I can't support that. I can't I, support. And I think those injuries obviously would happen and you know, the misdiagnosis or whatever you want to say. I think a lot of that angst is still harbored around this team that's what I, well, I mean yeah i mean people are gonna sit there and say oh this is dennis allen's fault this is what happens when dennis allen takes over no. go back to 2020 remember right. and, and and remember that this almost became a huge rift at that point when he, when mike is yelling at jeff duncan that's relative to that 
when when the when the uh, injury and the surgery didn't happen as the team might have expected and right. there were stories about the miscommunications and all this like that started well when Sean Payton was here and you know like you you tried to massage it but it did never clear clearly was never massaged uh well enough we also um, had players fighting CJ Gardner Johnson and Michael Thomas there was again when while Sean Payton was here. There you go. Exactly. So he's he's had some, like I said, there's been some angst around here. Yeah, like like people are gonna point to this and say this is a Dennis Allen thing. And I would say yeah. this has been building for a long time. Right. And and so you could say it got exacerbated while Dennis Allen was here. I would I would argue that it was this is a product of sure, Dennis Allen. So he's on the defensive side of the ball. There's only so much he's gonna be able to do. And not having that strong leader in the offensive meeting room in, you know, and, and that's why, like, that's my biggest criticism of Pete Carmichael is I just, like, if Michael Thomas is out there, th- like, throwing a fit about he's not getting the ball, what, what is Pete saying? I understand. Right. <laughs> you know, how is well, he I, handling well, that situation? Well, I think this. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right. <laughs> and, and like, and I, you know, I understand the grievances around Derek Carr, and I do think that ball was a bad ball, the one, but again, it wasn't the one he got hurt on. I, but at the same time, again, it's like, I'm not going to sit here and tell you that I agree that this offense would have been better if he force-fed the ball to Michael Thomas 15 times a game rather than work the ball around to his playmakers, to the other receivers, to Rashid Shahid, to Chris Olave. Now, when things aren't going well, it's easy to say, yeah, well, I'm still Mike Thomas, throw me the freaking ball. But I don't think that was the issue with the offense. I don't. This is one, too, everyone's going to go, oh, he's going to end up in Denver. I don't know how that relationship is with Sean Payton, honestly. He's not going to Denver. No way. I don't think so either. They're not friends. (laughs) Right. It's not like, oh, come on in, my boy. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, I think he would have left after 2020 again if it wasn't like a lot of this is contract driven. And yeah, so... Good we'll good there. luck getting paid somewhere, Mike, but it's I definitely won't be in black and gold again. I don't think at least. I think he's going to end up in Buffalo, personally. Might be too cold for that knee. I don't know. I, I, I wouldn't want to go to Buffalo, but... <laughs> right. We'll see. But anyway, uh, that's, let's wrap that up. We talked for a long time, but, you know, it's... Got my, hey, maybe it's the last time we talk about Michael Thomas. We want to get our money's worth. I was going to say, Mike T brings that out of you for sure. He got his money's worth, so we're going to get our money's worth. <laughs> um, we're going to come back, and uh, we had a... Uh, I, I had a long interview with Justin Mello, senior draft analyst from the Draft Network, talking about the Senior Bowl, which is starting on Tuesday. I'm going to be driving up there, getting a look at some of these prospects and the practices, and I don't stay for the game, but, I mean, the game is, like, the least important part of Senior Bowl weekend, yeah. which is kind of funny. Uh, <laughs> but we're gonna we're gonna get into a lot of that. So this is inside black and gold. This is gonna be a long episode. I can tell already. Stick around. <laughs>